scripture reading this morning is from uh, the book of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Hmm. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning and welcome again to Holy Trinity downtown. Great to see all of you. I know all the fishermen uh, are, are very intrigued now to know exactly how it is that you catch so many fish, 153, that's a lot. Uh, I just want to announce again that death is done, Jesus has won, we have overcome, praise God. Um, last week, we asked the question, what's Palm Sunday about? And Palm Sunday, of course, is a much less known holiday than Easter is. And we said that Palm Sunday really is about this jubilation that the King of Kings is in the world, that he is the one who uh, is the king of both Israel and of uh, all of the world. Today, we're going to just think about what is Easter about. And there's a lot of ways to answer that question today. People, many people, in some ways, think that Easter is just a fable. It's a nice uh, kind of story that can revive our hearts a little bit. That's what some people think of it. Other people think of it as this, this spectacular miracle that happened in history but it's a little remote. How does it really apply to me? Today, what I want us to think a little bit about as we think about John 21, verses 1 to 14, I'll put it very simply, is that Easter is about relationships. And I'll show that to you, but put it more succinctly, Easter is about restored relationships. It's not just some fable that people tell a story about. It's not merely some spectacular miracle, but it's actually the voice of God, Easter is, calling to you and calling you back into his presence. There's really four scenes 
in this passage. And, and I wanted to show you some of the movement because um, you could think of it this way, that Easter is the movement from emptiness to fullness, or Easter is the movement from the identification of Jesus as Lord to communion with Jesus as Lord. There's four main scenes in this passage. One, The first one, I'll just put it this way, verses 1 to 3, is Peter in the boat, and it's a scene of emptiness. There's a, there's a bit of emptiness imagery there. The second part, verses 4 to 7, is Jesus on the shore, which results in fullness. And there's really two kind of movements in these four scenes. It moves from emptiness to fullness, and then the second uh, set of movements in, in scene three is Peter realizing who Jesus is and plunging himself into the water. And then the fourth one is communion or community that happens on the beach. So that's where we're going to be going today. Verses one to three, Peter in the boat. Four to six, Jesus on the shore. Seven to eight, Peter in the sea. And then communion or breakfast on the shore. I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we uh, dive into our text today. Father in heaven, you see our lives today. You see the relationships that have been strained. You see the people, our family that has, for some of us, forsaken us, our colleagues that have condemned us. You've seen the way that some of us have relationships that have been not just severed, but but, uh, shattered even, Lord. So as we think about the resurrection being the restoration of relationship, we pray that you'd give us hope today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So there's these four scenes, the first one, verses 1 to 3, and we'll put it up on the screen here so you can follow along, uh, is Peter in the boat, emptiness. And you see there in verse 1, it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tyre. Tiberius, and then he revealed himself again in, the, in this way. That word there, revealed, is a fun little word to, to tuck away on this Easter Sunday. You might know the word epiphany, which means that something suddenly comes into your mind, something dawns on you. The word in the Greek there really is the, this kind of epiphany word, which can mean that Jesus manifested himself, that he made himself visible to them, but this is also the moment in which Jesus it dawns on the disciples who Jesus really is. And so uh, you can think of this in one sense as their Easter epiphany. Literally, it means sort of to to shine the light on something. This is the third time the light of of the resurrection has been shined on Jesus. Verse 2 tells us who's there. First of all, you've got Peter, which is important because he's sort of the, the brash and bold leader. He's the one who's famously denied Jesus, the one who's betrayed Jesus. And then you've got, of course, uh, the the others that are there. Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana. He's the one who recognized Jesus in chapter one and said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth. And then you've got the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. Those are the two guys that said, hey, Jesus, when we get to the resurrection, when we get to heaven, can one of us sit on your left hand and one sit on your right hand? You got those guys, and then you've also got two others, so you've got a total of seven there. So you got Peter, he just says these very simple words, I'm going fishing, and everybody else says, I'm going with you. 
And then it says, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they had caught nothing. This is a whole night of work with nothing to show for it. This is the waitress who works all night but gets no tips. This is the uh, mechanic who waits all day and no one comes in to bring their car in. The stock trader who can't get a break. They caught nothing. They've got an empty boat. They've got empty nets. And there's a sense in which for Peter and the disciples, they're empty of purpose. Because a little bit earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus had appeared to them, said, peace be with you, and told them that they could go out and preach the Gospel and sins would be forgiven. I don't know if you ever feel this way. I know there are actually some people here who were up all night, thanks to the medical workers who work through the night so that we uh, can have medical care. Peter's thrown himself into the work here, but there is no productivity. So I want you to probe this a little bit deeper because the, really the last time that Peter spoke to Jesus, what he did was betray Jesus. He denied Jesus. The last time he looked at Jesus, the last time he was associated with him, he said, I never knew you. And so, as Peter sets out to go fishing, he's lost his companion. He's lost his friend. He's lost his mission. He's lost his dignity. He's lost his pride. He's lost his purpose. He's lost his rabbi. The imagery of emptiness here is the imagery of everything that Peter had lost. He's lost his Lord. I'll just say that there's a way in which the kind of alienation of work for many of us can feel like this sometimes. That it's just the casting of nets over the sea and pulling up of nothing. But there's hope for Peter because there's a voice that is going to speak from the beach. And in one sense, what John is saying is that the resurrection of, of the person of Jesus is meant to speak to the emptiness of your situation, in fact, the status of your failure. If it moves from, if this is a scene of emptiness, it moves next to a scene of hope, a scene of fullness. The emptiness of the nets is about to meet the fullness of Jesus. His, the, tiring, the tiredness over vocation is about to change. So we've got Peter in the boat, verses 1 to 3, and then we've got Jesus on the shore, which is fullness, verses 4 to 6. It says, verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. They haven't seen him yet. Uh, they have seen him once before, verse 19, but they weren't with him long term. And the disciples at this moment don't know that it is Jesus. So he asked them one little question, six words, children, do you have any fish? Which is a way of humbling the fishermen because they've been fishing all night. He knows the answer. But it's instead of him just saying, hey, guys, hello, it's me. He wants to show them a little bit their need for him. Wants to change their perspective. They answer him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. 
Now, this is stupid in one sense, right? Like, fish swim on either side of the boat. Like, what in the world is that? But, you know, fishermen are superstitious, right? They're like, maybe if I just change this fly just a little bit, you know, or cast over there a little bit. So, hey, they're willing to try it. And it says, so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And this is every fisherman's dream, right? Like to just pull in these full nets. And maybe the message for you this morning is Jesus knows where the fish are, okay? I'm teasing. He's sovereign over the fish. He's sovereign over the sea. Put it in urban terms. He knows where every parking space is in the city of Chicago. He knows where your next apartment is going to be. He knows where your next date is going to be. This is a picture, a little tiny microscopic picture of his sovereignty. But here's what's happening. Jesus is standing. Jesus is calling. Jesus is commanding that the nets become full. He says these six words that he can fill their nets. All you brokenhearted, all you worn and weak, all you lost and searching, wanting something more, find the risen Christ who overcomes the world. Here's the promise. John tells us why he wrote this book right before the section. If you have a Bible open, you can see it right before chapter 21. John has written this, in, John as a, as a follower of Jesus has written this entire book with one purpose in mind. He tells all of these miracles. All of the things that Jesus has done is he calls them signs. And he says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing that you might have life on his name. See, what's happening here is that this is the voice that raises the dead. This is the voice that caused Lazarus from the grave. John 10 says, the sheep hear my voice and they know me. Friends, on this Easter Sunday, hear the voice of the one who pays for sin. On this Easter Sunday, hear the voice that is from beyond. Hear the voice that calls across the ages. Throughout the scriptures, it speaks of the power of the voice of God to crack the cedars, to call forth offspring from a lamb. This is the voice called Peter originally. Maybe some who have walked away from the clear voice of Jesus. There may be some who are weary of the emptiness of your work without fruit, some who have never recognized his voice and heard his call, some who are just too lazy to come. The voice from the shore is proclaiming that death is done, Jesus has won. And just as the tomb can be empty, so life can now be full. So lift your voice and sing that Christ is king. You've gone from emptiness to fullness, from the boat to the shore. Now we go back to the boat and to Peter as he jumps into the sea. This is just these two verses, verses 7 to 8. And there's some humor in these verses. Because in verses 7 to 8, you really have two things happening. One is confession or declaration, and the other one is action. 
John is the one who identifies Jesus, and Peter is the one who goes and seeks Jesus. He has this kind of longing. I think there's actually a little bit of uh, apostolic trash talking happening here. Because the author of this book is, is John, but he doesn't identify himself. He just calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. That's a great title, right? Who are you? I'm the disciple Jesus loved. What about the rest of the disciples? I don't know. But he wants everybody to know as he writes this book, but the disciple whom Jesus loved said, it's the Lord. Like he knows. He picked it up. Peter's just, he's clueless. This is, keep in mind, just one chapter earlier, when Peter and John run to the tomb, John wants you to know, and the disciple whom Jesus loved got there first. <laughs> he wants you to know that, like, yeah, he's the guy who identifies him first. He's the one who gets to the tomb first. He wants you to know that he's the one who identifies. But there's one who identifies and the other who jumps, one who perceives, the other one who plunges. It's a difference between identification and, and action. I don't know if you, if you watch NBA basketball, if you watch uh, Ja Morant play at all. The dude just launches. Like he just, I don't know, he just elevates and goes over people. He has like three extra levels to him. That's Peter here. He just goes vertical, plunges in. Look at verse 7. When Peter, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. I love that phrase for Peter. He just threw himself in. It's like Jonah getting thrown overboard. He throws himself because at that moment, nothing matters to him except that the person on the shore is the resurrected Jesus, and he wants to be with him. Maybe this isn't a season for holding back. Maybe Easter is the season for, for diving in. See, the energy that propelled him to go out and fish is now left behind, and a new energy is within him that propels him to proximity with Jesus. He just wants to be with him. Maybe you need to be propelled. Maybe you need to be compelled. Every, think of it. Every stroke he takes... He's thinking, I don't know what kind of stroke he was doing. I think he was doing a breaststroke. Jesus! Inspired. Savior. But think of what he's leaving behind. He's leaving the boat behind. But he's also leaving his betrayal behind. He's forgotten in that moment. The, the last time he spoke to Jesus, he denied him. Anybody need that today? Need a little less responsibility in your life? A little more energy towards Jesus? Anybody got a boat full of fish, but what you really need to see is his face. Peter wants proximity and he wants community. Who cares about the work now? I love this also. It's like the, John is like, by the way, you left us to do all the rest of the work, right? The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards. Think about 
Peter for a moment. What did he care about? One thing, relationship. That's it. That's why I'm saying that the resurrection is about relationship. His relationship with Jesus had become strained. His relationship with Jesus had become shattered. It had become severed. And now he wants his relationship to be restored. Think of it this way. Yeah, the cross is about forgiveness, but the resurrection is about relationship. When Christ died on the cross, he forgave you of your sins, but the sign of the resurrection is that everything has been restored, that you have access to God. Here's what John 17 says. Now, if somebody asks you what's eternal life, how would you answer? Here's what Jesus says in John 17, 3. He says, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what God wants for you, is for you to know the person of Jesus. And in the resurrection, he comes tearing back to find you and stands on the shore. This is a kind of longing in Peter, and I just want you to think for a second, what do you long for? And how is the city of Chicago shaped your longings? How has your vocation shaped your longings? How has your sexuality shaped your longings? For those of you who have been forsaken by your family or condemned by your colleagues or sated by your sexuality, maybe it's time to throw yourself overboard for Christ. If you have betrayed God in some large or small way. Why is Peter compelled and propelled? It's because death has been defeated. And Jesus is the living sign of it, that no grave could ever, ever restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive, crushing death, he rose again. Hallelujah. What Peter is showing us by example, what John is showing us by example, is the necessity of this kind of response to the voice of Jesus when you hear him call. Put it differently. If you don't respond to the voice of Jesus, you cannot experience the victory of Jesus. But those who respond to his voice participate, receive, relish, dwell in his victory. I don't know if you've ever had something that sprang you to action, news of a car accident, and all of a sudden you got to get up. News of a tragedy or the birth of somebody, the doorbell rings, and then somebody standing on the porch. This is Jesus, like, standing on the porch of epic history. <laughs> and John's like, it's the Lord. Moves from the boat to the shore, cycle one, and then the boat to the shore, cycle two, from emptiness to fullness, to this voice on the shore, and then this is, you wonder where Easter brunch came from? This is where it came from. This is the very first Easter brunch right here. The last movement in the text is to community, to proximity. Again, because the resurrection is about relationships, it's about restored relationship. John is picturing here that all of the rebellion of humanity, that all of our brokenness, 
the things that we have held back from God, the ways in which we have intentionally rebelled against God, for Peter, just being swept away. Paid for on the cross, but at this moment, like you might expect Jesus, like what would you do if you were denied and the first time you actually see him face to face, what would you, Peter, we got a little something we got to talk about, like there's this, an issue that I have with a couple of things that you said about me. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He just says, let's, let's break some bread together. Which is actually hard to do. You ever tried to eat with someone when you're really angry at them? Well, you, you can't eat with someone who you have a severed relationship with or a strained relationship or a shattered relationship. And yet Jesus takes the first step here. Verse 9, when they got out on the land, they saw the charcoal fire in place with fish on it, laid out, and bread. Instead of, Peter could have expected a rebuke, but instead he gets breakfast. Jesus said to them, maybe to remind them of what he just did, he says, hey, bring some of the fish that you just caught. And so Peter, in his kind of bumbling, full-heartedness, goes and grabs the whole net, (laughs) So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net. Before it was all of the disciples are like hauling this thing. And now this time, here's Peter. He just goes, okay, I'll go get it. I also wonder, like, why does, why does John say 153 fish? Thank you for letting us know that. It's like just one of those little eyewitness account details that John's like, I was, I was there. I counted the fish. I could tell you there was 153 And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Just four words. And maybe these are four words for us. Four words for Peter that changed him on that day. Come and have breakfast. It's community. It's communion. At a certain point, because the cross... On the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. Because the sins of Peter were laid in that tomb and left behind. Because Christ crucified, had already paid for Peter's sins, all he says to him is, let's have breakfast together. I remember when I was in college and one of my friends thinking that I had like grown up in too strict of a Christian background or something. He said to me, he said, maybe you always think of God as like this God who is holy. Maybe you need to think of John 21. And Jesus just wanted to have breakfast with you on that day. Jesus rings the bell. Ding, 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 ding. Time for breakfast, guys. And I want you to just pause for a moment and think about the power of Jesus. I want you to think about your own relationships, both with people here on earth as well as with God. And think about the power of God to heal strained, severed, and shattered relationships. Because that's what he does in one moment here. See, part of what God is doing in calling Peter to himself is not just restoring the relationship with Peter, but creating 
a kind of new community in which relationships will be restored, in which the message of restoration is the essential message. There's so many relationships. I have had relationships that have been strained or severed or shattered and then seen them restored. And that is what God does for Peter. The resurrection voice of Jesus compels us to restore relationships. It tells us that a shattered relationship can be restored and a strained relationship. Think of it this way. Just as the the cells inside of Jesus' body started to be reactivated again, or the lungs of Jesus started to rise in the tomb and to pump oxygen once again, so relationships that seem dead can come to life. Why did Jesus come back? In one sense, at this point in the text, he came back for a fisherman. For a fisherman who betrayed him, he did it to go and find the disciples that he loved, to remake the broken, to heal the shattered. So today I want to invite you to come into communion with Christ. To come into a cross-cultural or counter-cultural community that welcomes others and heals relationships. Easter takes us from emptiness to fullness, from broken relationships to restored relationships. And so I'm just going to close out with a little bit of application here. There's hope for restored relationships this Easter. If you've broken trust with the Father in heaven and you feel like you can't trust him anymore, Jesus says, come. If you have forgotten the, the forgiveness of Christ, the price that he has paid for you, Jesus has come. If, you've, if you feel you've quenched the Holy Spirit over and over and over, Jesus has come. There's hope. But there's also hope to hear the voice of Jesus. There's only one voice in all of history, in all of eternity, that revives the soul, that makes wise the simple, that enlightens the eyes. And for those of you who are tired of emptiness, I just want to challenge you once again, look for your fullness in Christ. Let your need for fish draw you into fellowship. (laughs) Peter went fishing to find something, and he found something that he needed more. And then I'll just say, stop holding back. Plunge in into into the presence of Christ and into the peace of Christ. Maybe you've seen that old movie, 1998, Saving Private Ryan. Tom Hanks plays John Miller, and he takes his men behind the lines to find somebody whose name is Private James Ryan. And they're surrounded by terrifying destruction of war, but the whole plot and the whole concept is that one man goes back to find somebody else and brings him back. And that's very simply what this text is all about. That he came back for you. So leave your betrayal behind on this day. Leave your broken-hearted brokenness behind. And hear on this day the resurrected voice of Jesus calling you into community, into proximity, 
into relationship. The resurrection, it's about relationships. It's about restored relationships with the eternal Son of God. May we celebrate that today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we greet you on this Easter Sunday. And we thank you for this simple narrative of this strong and swarthy fisherman who at times doesn't even know his own heart. And we thank you that you plunged into this world to save us. That this passage is really about you coming back and calling us. And even as you have called us to yourself through the resurrection, we thank you that you will also call us one day and return to take us into your presence forevermore. We bless you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.